Mark 4, uh, 35 through 41. We'll read that in a minute. In 1963, the American television host Merv Griffin was on a plane with his wife, Julianne, headed home from a family vacation. He was mulling over a new game show idea he had hoped would work, and his wife asked him if it would be the kind of game that she would really like, where people got to display how much they knew about certain topics. He reminded her that since the 1950s gaming scandals, where producers secretly rigged the outcome by giving contestants the answers, the networks didn't allow those kinds of shows anymore. Those games were gone for good, he said, because everyone suspects the show of giving away the answers. Sensibly, she said, well, why don't you give them the answers and make them come up with the questions? Murph said, I don't know what you mean. Okay, she said, the answer is 5,280. He considered and said, the question is, how many feet in a mile? They kept going back and forth with her giving him answers and him coming up with the questions. A few months later, he pitched their idea to NBC and they bought it. So the answer is the game show that first aired in 1964 hosted by Art Fleming. And the question is, what is Jeopardy? That's right. Uh, You all win. (laughs) Now, it's entertaining to have a game show where they give the answers first. But how Jeopardy came to be helps us think through our passage today. We often go through life looking for just the right answers. When it might be more helpful for us to think about what questions those answers bring up in the first place. This is a great idea in the Christian life where we have built up a lot of knowledge from scripture and from our experience. And the narrative that we study today is quite familiar. We know the story. We know a lot of ideas that come from it. So I want to ask us questions around the truths that we know so that we might get in touch, not just with what we understand, but with where we are right now with God. A main theme of our scripture today is discipleship. And in the back and forth of an authentic relationship with a living God, we see that those who follow Jesus make choices in how they respond to him as he engages in real life moments with them. Today, the disciples have some very real-life moments with Jesus. So if the answer is following Jesus, we're going to be asking three questions this scripture brings up for us. In the hopes of not just testing our knowledge, but finding out where our growing edge is right now as we live for him. So Mark 4, 35 through 41 On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this 
that even the wind and the sea obey him. Before we delve into our questions, let's put a few things in context here. First of all, we've been studying Jesus, teaching about the kingdom and what the kingdom is like through parables. He has told the people to make certain that they listen, that they need to have ears to hear. And as he goes out with the disciples, this is an opportunity for them to listen on the go with him. Also, this is uh, the first in Mark of what we would call a nature miracle. In my reading this week, I was reminded about how often miracles like this are met with skepticism. More often than any other types of intervention that God might do. Apparently, it's easier for people to think that God would or could heal a person with a disease than he would calm a storm. A lot of people throughout the ages have tried to explain away this story and what it means. Because they don't think that nature can be disrupted that way. We need to think about this as we read this. We also see here that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. And we see how he seamlessly goes from teacher to tired man to almighty God in a few minutes. And that's something else for us to think about. So if the answer is to follow Jesus, the first question of the passage is, why would we get into the boat? This falls under the category of opportunity. The life of a disciple is about following Jesus daily. He says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. Jesus continues to be on the move. There is never a sense of being established with God, not when we're mature in the faith, not when we have a lot of years under our belt. We are a sent people, not a settled people. At any moment, he could call us out of our comfortable places with him to go to new places where he wants us to reach people and do work he wants us to engage in. But he doesn't send out his followers alone. He goes with them. Here we see that they leave the crowds behind. And Mark tells us that while Jesus directs them, uh, they take him in the boat with him. So that's a good uh, back and forth too. He leads and then we go together and sometimes he lets us drive. So the question is, will we follow? Will we keep following even when the pull to stay is very strong? I think about the people who missed the boat. Mark tells us that there were other boats that were going in tandem, so there was room. But what of the people who decided to stay on the shore? What if they didn't really understand Jesus' parables? What if they didn't want to go someplace else besides where they were? What if there were some people who, like Jesus, maybe even thought he was from God, but had no intention of doing anything that was going to change their routine? When the Lord said to me, let's go about taking this job, I want to tell you I stayed on the shore a while and looked at that boat. (laughs) Wasn't quite sure, scared of the unknown and comfortable where I was, and he allowed me to think about whether or not I wanted to be on this new adventure. When I thought about what it would look like if I didn't, That gave me pause. You see, it's human nature for us to want to keep life the same. But the commitment that we've made to the Lord is that we're willing to go when he says, let's go. We need to know that where we've been can be a strong pull, even if we don't love it. So one question the story asks us is, 
Where are times that the Lord asked you to follow him and you went? And why did you decide to follow him? And what did that look like? What was it that caused you to get into the boat and say, I'm ready? While Jesus has ministry to do on the other side of the lake, he is also engaging in ministry right in front of him. He is consistently leading his disciples to new places. And as they go, he is doing just as much important ministry in them as he is out there with them. When he says for you to go, it's for a purpose, for your own growth, but also for what it is that he wants you to do. So is there a place that he is asking you to go right now and you have put off saying yes? You see, going can be challenging, but so can staying put. So I encourage you to listen to the Lord and prayerfully consider where he is leading you. The next category is labeled danger. The answer is following Jesus. And the question is, how will we respond where he leads us when it causes us great anxiety? The Sea of Galilee is known for its squalls. The storms come out of nowhere with a terrifying suddenness. And as the storm rises, Jesus, comfortable and cozy in his spot, continues to sleep. Those who followed him onto the lake are terrified because the wind is huge, the waves are crashing, and the boat is taking on water. They're in a panic, and they realize they might not be able to make it through the storm. How the disciples react to Jesus is where we want to focus. Because their question to him is well known to us today. As they awaken him, they say, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care, God? This is a rallying cry of a terrified humanity reaching out to God, wondering why he is not intervening on their behalf. In countless circumstances, we question what the Lord is thinking or doing even when it's evident that he is right with us. In our terror of physical circumstances, we wonder if we have been forgotten or abandoned. We cry out in fear and in doubt. Where is God in the midst of our distress? This is a cry repeated daily in every place where people live, amid the terrors and the distresses of our world. If he cares... Why do the events in this world and in our lives sometimes go so badly? Like the disciples, we think that either he has no real power or he is indifferent to us. As we know, God allows storms to come. There are some he stops. There are some that he permits. Some we will never know about our time here on earth because we have limited knowledge in how he works. But just because Jesus is not panicked, does not mean he does not care. Life does not go as we plan sometimes. And what happens sometimes is opposite of what we want. What is important to acknowledge is how he stays with us in every circumstance. For those who have just experienced the devastating storm in our community, it's hard for us to think about these words. Not one of us is shielded from the agonizing pain of this life. And our hearts have been torn apart as we think about those people and those families impacted by the mudslide. And we wish with all of our might that God would have stopped the storm that took away life and property. 
But there wasn't one person who suffered in that mudslide who was alone that day. The Lord was there to offer his hope in the middle of it. For people who trust in Jesus, we have to believe this, that there is not a person in Syria or in Florida or Yemen or Venezuela or Montecito who is beyond the mercy of the Lord. For those of us who believe that God draws us close before we even know him, we also must believe that he is available to those who are suffering and surrounds those who are perishing with his grace. Let us remember also that Mark is addressing a church that at the time of this writing is facing intense persecution of all kinds. And so he is trying to encourage those who trust in the Lord to remember that Jesus is with them. It's not about enduring life with calmness. It's about calling out to Jesus with trust and ensure hope. In this life, we will have debilitating fear sometimes. That is to be expected for the life that we endure. Our question is, how will we respond to him in what overwhelms us? What are you experiencing right now that is causing you distress? How can the Lord help you? Have you begun to believe that he does not care? Those who follow Jesus need to remember that he deeply loves and is there to help. Under the category of revelation, the answer is following Jesus. And the question is, how then are we changed by the living God? When suddenly awakened by his companions, the Lord does not start where many of us might. He does not say, why did you wake me up? He does not say, ugh. How silly you are. This is just a storm. He does not do that. He rebukes the wind and the waves and says, peace. Be still. Hush. Stop. Suddenly where there was chaos, now there is absolute stillness and quiet. The storm is gone. And the disciples who were once terrified of the elements are now facing a God they realize they have not truly understood. They have seen him heal diseases, call out demons, and exercise authority, but he has power over the wind and the waves? Who is this man? He did not pray to the Father. He himself just spoke the calm. Jesus uses this as a teachable moment to instruct them in their fear. He wants them to remember this experience have faith in the future. Verse 41 says they were filled with a great awe, but the meaning there is that they feared a great fear. He talked to the weather and the weather obeyed him. Frederick Beekner says a miracle is an event that strengthens our faith. They have seen how powerful their teacher is. Now this is going to have ramifications for their life. Because the question facing all those who follow Christ is what do we do when he turns his gaze on us and tells us what to do? What do we do when he looks at us and he says, stop, peace, hush? What do we do with a God that we cannot contain or control? 
If the point of accepting Christ is to make true followers out of us, then we are either all in or all out. Jesus came to change the world, and he does this by changing us. It's much easier to reason away a miracle than it is to accept the power of God in our lives. If we can explain how God doesn't really act in that way anymore in our lives, then we ourselves are safe from what he wants to do in us. We can sit back in our chair, never being touched by a Lord who doesn't want to rein in our rebellious ways. But if we do accept the miracle, then it has to inform what we believe about Jesus. And also, we have to acknowledge that there are going to be moments that he's going to confront us about our faith, that he is going to direct us where to go, that he's going to challenge us in our emotional responses, sometimes our hysteria about what is happening in our lives that is overwhelming and hard, and ask us to trust him. Again, the alternative is worse. If we know Jesus is the everlasting and majestic creator who rules in glory, but do not submit ourselves to his discipline or his authority, isn't that worse for us in our lives? We do decide every day to either follow him or to not follow him. And either way, we will be changed, either by him or by something around us. It's our choice. So are there ways that you are fearful of how God might call you to a deeper obedience that you are not ready for yet? What changes has he been asking you to make? How is he bringing his rebuke in your life? In what ways are you ignoring his spirit? What would it look like to fully embrace his authority over you? I encourage all of us to ask the Holy Spirit, especially in this time of Lent, to speak clearly and that we would have ears to hear. As believers in Christ, we need to decide what kind of followers we're going to be. We need to keep asking questions so we, the things that we know to be true will draw us closer to the Lord and not just stay in our heads. When those who followed Jesus got to the other side of the lake, they had an entirely different view of God than they would have had if they would have stayed on the shore. I doubt that they imagined that a simple boat ride would have opened their eyes to who Jesus really was and how he would confront what being a disciple really means. What was on the other side was important, and we're going to talk about what was on the other side next week. Look what they learned along the way. Look what Jesus, in his grace and his mercy and his truth, did in the lives of the disciples. So what is the Lord teaching you today as you follow him? Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.